John chapter 1, we'll begin in verse 32. Uh, this is also God's word, eternally true. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. Here ends our reading. There's a response of thankfulness written for you up here and in your bulletin as well. The word of the Lord. Thanks, be to God. Thanks indeed. Let's pray. Um, I've been talking with uh, Samuel in the last few weeks, and he went up to see his aunt, and, and they like did this whole uh, like rehearsal in a week and a production of the the, um, uh, the musical Guys and Dolls. And when I was a sophomore in high school, I was playing the clarinet in the pit orchestra. That's a little orchestra that sits in front of the stage that plays along with the people who are singing on stage. And um, and so I, uh, my best friend was in that production as just a, 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 one of the gamblers behind there. This was a, this was made into a movie. Frank Sinatra was in it. Um, but uh, his older brother. Uh, Nick, who's a, a, a gastroenterologist at UNC now, um, a very smart, very smart guy, uh, was Nathan Detroit, uh, the, the Frank Sinatra character in this in this uh, play. Uh, but I remember one of the things I remember about Nick is that when he was applying to colleges, uh, Nick's goal was to uh, go to Harvard. Uh, again, Nick was very smart, and uh, so. Uh, one day, Nick came home, and his mom uh, showed him the mail, and in the mail was an envelope from Harvard. And they told me about their experience with this. This envelope was a big envelope with a bunch of stuff in it. So guess what they knew before they opened the envelope? He had gotten in. Uh, if you were like me, you got the envelope from Harvard that had one sheet of paper in it. It said, due to the very uh, high number of qualified applicants we had this year. <laughs> but you can tell certain things um, from the outside or from what's going on in front of you sometimes, what's happened in each internally. And they knew that what was inside this envelope from Harvard was now, this was before everything was online. It was before there was an online. This was the spring of 1980, April of 1983. Uh, but there are all these papers you fill out to sign up for your dorm and all this various stuff to send back your deposit, all done through the mail. For those of you who are older, you know, that's how we used to do things. <laughs> um, but, but God reveals to us this morning um, something that we can see in front of us that reveals that internal things have happened and that these internal things that have happened signify something very, very important. Namely, as we've seen here in the Gospel of John, John's point, that Jesus is the King. He's the Son of David, as, as, as uh, Peter proclaimed in Acts chapter 2. He's the son of David, the ultimate son of David, promised to David, who would rule over God's people forever. And as Peter says there, 
forever by virtue of the fact that he's been not only resurrected from the dead, but that he has ascended on high and that the throne he's taken at the right hand of the Father is a throne that will never end. It's a reign that will never end. And so John shows us something here in his gospel that get that where he points at certain realities that you know and experience in yourself and in other Christians that show to you that Jesus sits at the right hand of God now and is living and active. So if you'd like to fill out blanks in an outline, uh, you're welcome uh, to do that, if that helps you follow along. If you want to just listen, that's fine too. But our introduction here, what God is showing us is that your experience, that's your blank, your experience as a Christian confirms that Jesus is the King. Now, we've talked about this a lot in verse 38. Uh, we just, uh, uh, we can see this here, um, that, that uh, Jesus is, is the king. He's the one that, that uh, um, everyone is following. Uh, John the Baptist declares him in verse 34 to be the son of God. As we looked at verse 49, um, Nathaniel con uh, concurs with that and says, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. So John is showing us this, that Jesus is the king. He's also showing us something else that's associated with Jesus being the king. And that's in verse 33 that we read just a moment ago. Verse 33, John the Baptist has been tipped off that while he baptizes, John the Baptist baptizes with water, that the king will baptize with the Holy Spirit. That's verse 33. So first, as we look at these verses, we get um, the state of things for the Christian person as it relates to Jesus uh, himself and the state of Jesus' activity now as we sit here today. So what's going on right now with Jesus? And so that's your first point there. God wants us to know, number one, that Jesus is alive Jesus is alive. He's in heaven. He is seated as, guess what? King. And he is baptizing. Jesus is alive. He's in heaven. He's seated as king. And he is baptizing with the Holy Spirit. This is something that Jesus is doing today and has been doing now, let's look at these things all being true. So, A, 1A, Jesus is alive. Uh, chapter 20, verses uh, 10 through 17, that's the first resurrection appearance that John records uh, with Mary and then many other resurrection appearances uh, after that. And Peter testifies this in, in Acts 2 as well, that Jesus is alive. He has been raised um, Ephesians 1.20 and, and Revelation uh, 1.17. Jesus says to John in Revelation 1, Behold, I am alive and I live forevermore. And this is Jesus talking to John uh, 65 years after he had been resurrected. Jesus talking to John in AD 95. And he says, I am he, the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega, the Omega who lives forevermore. Second thing, B, 
Jesus is not only alive, but he has ascended to heaven. He's ascended to heaven. Uh, this is what he communicates to his uh, disciples. This is what we see in Acts chapter 1. Jesus ascends into heaven. This is what Peter reports as he preaches at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. That Jesus has ascended. He's not only alive, but he's ascended to heaven. Not only has resurrection happened, but ascension has happened. Third thing, see, Jesus has been seated as king on a throne in heaven. So Jesus isn't just up there in heaven, kind of randomly, randomly scooting around, living just as Savior. He is, our, he is our Savior. But his position in heaven, he's in a throne room. And when heaven is shown to us throughout Scripture, Old and New Testament, usually what we're seeing is a throne room. And a throne is mentioned. And God is seen on his throne. And that's the case for Jesus as well. Uh, Hebrews 1, chapter, or chapter 1, verse 3. Uh, Jesus is told to us as having made purification for sins on the cross. He sat down at the right hand of God in heaven. Um, so Jesus is sitting on a throne. Uh, we see this in Ephesians 1.20. He's above all uh, powers and princes and kings and principalities. Um, Colossians 3.1 says the same. And then Hebrews 1.3 and 8.1. Jesus has been seated on his throne in heaven. Next, uh, D. So Jesus is alive. He's in heaven. He's seated on his throne. If you died and your soul rose to heaven, that's where you would see Jesus seated on his throne. But D, Jesus promised before he left that from heaven he would send. He'd send the Holy Spirit. This is what you saw and what you can see there in your in your worship guide and our uh, preparing for the worship of God from John 15, 26. John told his disciples he was going away, but then in 15, 26, he said, the Father and I will send you my spirit. Here's what he says. When the counselor comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. So Jesus talks to us about the spirit of truth the counselor whom he would send us from the father. Acts 2.4 goes this way. Recounting Pentecost, it says all of them, the disciples, were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And then verse 17, what Jim read for you, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit. Notice for those of you who are in Sunday school and those who aren't, the last days, Peter says, are our days, first century, A.D. 30. As he's preaching, he calls those days the last days. We've been in the last days since Jesus rose from the dead um, and during Jesus' life. But he says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit. Yes, on all my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Then Peter explained, exalted to the right hand of God, Jesus has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out the Spirit as you now see and hear. So Peter says there, one of the things the Old Testament prophets said was when we return from exile, the Spirit would be poured out on everybody. 
men and women, boys and girls, young and old. And that's what you're seeing right now on this day of Pentecost. You're seeing that the Spirit has been poured out because Jesus has risen to the right hand of the Father, been given the Spirit, and Jesus has poured out on his people the Spirit. We are in the last days because Jesus has poured out his Spirit here at Pentecost. That's what Peter says there. So Jesus has sent his Spirit, which he promised his disciples he would do, and he delivered on that promise on that first Pentecost of the New Testament era. Now, E, E. So Jesus is alive. He's in heaven. He's king on a throne. He promised he'd send his spirit. And E, Jesus is sending the Holy Spirit. Jesus is sending the Holy Spirit from heaven to people. That's what Jesus is doing today. He's sending his spirit from heaven to people. And this is his baptizing this is his baptizing of them with the holy spirit that's what john the baptist said the father had told him you john will baptize with water but he who is coming after you will baptize with the holy spirit now i know if you've been around in the church for any sum of time or if you were like me and for a time we're in a charismatic church you know that this has been redefined wrongly from what scripture says this has been uh, communicated to you as something different than the giving of the spirit that regenerated you unto life and so we're going to talk about that so that you can get straight in this and so when a charismatic person says oh have you been baptized in the spirit your answer is yes because you've believed okay jesus has baptized you with his spirit this is not what is it is it has been defined to be since the 19 teens when this became a thing realize that san francisco the azusa street revival this became a thing and if you talk to somebody about being baptized by the spirit prior to that in 1915 or whenever that was they would not have known what you were talking about except that you were talking about when you were born again and given god's spirit okay that's a modern American phenomenon that is spread across the world that you can be baptized in the Spirit as a separate new thing beyond your being saved. So that's what we're going to talk about now. Okay. So Jesus is sending his Holy Spirit from heaven to people. This is his baptizing of them with the Holy Spirit. So number two, all Christians, all Christians have been baptized with the Holy Spirit by Jesus. Um, Paul writes to the Corinthians and he tells them this. Now let me read to you, if, you're, if you can't pull up 1 Corinthians in your head, um, this is the book where they are more immature than any other church to whom Paul writes. They've got all kinds of problems. There's a guy sleeping with his stepmom in the church this is, he's a member of the church and this is what he's doing and everybody's okay with it that's the state of maturity of the corinthian church okay if you don't get that and all the things they've got lawsuits within the church they're suing each other all kinds of spiritual maturity in the church here's how paul frames it in chapter 3 of first corinthians 
So basically from the get-go, here's what Paul says. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly. You brothers in the Corinthian church, you're my brothers. You've been saved. You're my brothers in Christ, but you are worldly, not spiritual. You are, continuing the quote, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for solid food. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there's jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men, that is, unsaved people? Yet he says of these infants in Christ in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians this, we were all baptized by one spirit. The most immature church in the New Testament, the Corinthian church, all of them, mere infants in Christ, were baptized in the spirit. This is what scripture says, and we don't want to argue with that. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for we were all, how many people? All. Who's he talking to? Infants in Christ. Infants in Christ are all baptized in the Spirit. He's not saying, now you mature Christians, obviously you're baptized in the Spirit, not these immature Christians. No, he doesn't say that. He says to those who are infants in Christ, quarreling, to whom he has to speak as if they were just unsaved people because they were so worldly, yet they were saved. He says to them, you were baptized in the spirit. I'll read it again. You were all baptized by one spirit into one body. So if you're part of the body of Christ, you were baptized in the one spirit. And if you weren't baptized in the spirit, you're not part of the body of Christ. Listen again. We were all baptized by one spirit into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we were all given one spirit to drink. What do you mean by given to drink? Baptized. Same verse. Infants in Christ are baptized by the spirit. John baptized with water, but Jesus baptizes with what? The Holy Spirit. So these infants in Christ are baptized. So if you're a believer, that means you're baptized with the Spirit by Jesus. So A, talking about this more and, and just thoroughly going over it at all the angles so that you can see this. Every Christian's baptism by Jesus with the Holy Spirit occurs not as a later event in his or her life as a Christian, but at the time of his or her initial faith in Christ. Every Christian's baptism by Jesus with the Holy Spirit occurs not as a later event. Again, Paul addresses infants in Christ and says they've all been baptized by the Holy Spirit. But at the time of his or her initial faith in, in Christ, 2 Thessalonians 2.13, Paul writes, But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers loved by the Lord, because from the beginning he chose you to be saved by the sanctifying work of the Spirit. So 
by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, these Thessalonians who were also young believers, they were no more than two years old in the Lord. He says, you were um, saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. First uh, Peter 1, 2 says the same thing. It says, if you were saved, there are three things true of you. One is the Father chose you. Two, you were a, a, a victim of the sanctifying work of the Spirit. <laughs> and three, Christ's blood was sprinkled upon you. That's 1 Peter 1, 2. But Paul says the same thing too in 2 Thessalonians 2, 13. Listen to Peter and Peter's understanding of the baptism of the Holy Spirit in chapter 11. Jim read it for you, but I'm always kind of dying there as I sit and read these passages being read because I know what I'm going to say about it and I know I wouldn't get this if I were them sitting there yet. And so we're going to go back and, and Acts 11, 14. He will, so this is... Um, uh, uh, Peter is called to these Gentiles. A man named Cornelius has uh, been told to, to seek out Peter and have Peter come and talk to him and his friends and talk to them about Jesus. Cornelius is not a believer. He's just been told, go and ask Peter to come and preach to you. Uh, here's Acts 11:14. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. This is Cornelius being told about Peter. Peter will bring to them a message for which, by which you and your household will be saved. Verse 15 of Acts 11. As I began to speak, this is Peter, as I began to speak to the unbelieving Cornelius and his relatives and close friends, the Holy Spirit came upon them as it had come upon us at the beginning. So this is Peter making a defense to other Jews of why he has preached the gospel to Gentiles. And he makes his defense and says, you know, God gave me this vision. This is the sheet, the, the unclean animals vision. And, and he says, Peter, go. A man's going to come for you, Cornelius, and, and you're going to go with him and tell them about me. And so Peter goes with these Gentiles and he arrives at Cornelius, the Gentiles house with, with Cornelius's friends, his close, close friends and relatives. And Peter preaches the gospel to them. And then Peter says, and the Holy Spirit came upon them. These Gentiles who had not believed, who were not yet saved, but now the Holy Spirit had come upon them as it had come upon us at the beginning. Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. I saw the same thing. The Spirit came upon them as it had come upon us in the beginning. Now then, listen to how Peter defines what this is in the next verse. So he says, and the Holy Spirit came upon them as it, he had come upon us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord Jesus had said. John baptized with water, but you will be. Here's what he calls what's happened just in front of him with these people who have just believed. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. This is what Peter calls it when a group of people or any person believes that this person has had the Holy Spirit come upon him or her and has been baptized by the Holy Spirit. Acts 11, 15, Peter calls baptism, baptism of the Holy Spirit what happens when a person comes to initial faith in Christ. Let me read this again. He will bring you a message by which, this is that Cornelius is being told, Peter will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. Then Peter says, 
As I began to speak to the unbelieving Cornelius, his relatives and close friends, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So Peter and the early church's elders, interviewing Peter there in Acts 11, understood that the baptism of the Holy Spirit, of which John the Baptist and Jesus had spoken, was about the initial coming to faith of a believer. This is what Scripture calls it. This is what Peter calls it. This is what, then when Peter tells the leaders of the church this, this is what they agree has happened. Faith, true faith, has come to the Gentiles through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And this is what John the Baptist was talking about. Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Jesus wasn't baptizing during his earthly ministry. In John 3, we'll see his disciples baptized some folks. John the Baptist baptized some folks. But Jesus' baptism is a baptism of the Holy Spirit. And this is what he does when he brings somebody to faith. So B, B, uh, a bunch of things happened to you uh, when you were baptized by Jesus with the Holy Spirit at the point of your initial faith. B, when Jesus baptized you, you can write in there, me, when Jesus baptized you with the Holy Spirit, number one, you were born spiritually. You were born spiritually. John 6, 63, the Spirit gives life. The flesh profits nothing. This is what Jesus said. You would not have life. You would not have been born if it weren't the Spirit. The flesh profits nothing. You didn't come to faith by your flesh. You came to faith by the Spirit. John 6, 63, Jesus says, The Spirit gives life. The flesh profits nothing. Or John 3 Verses 3 through 8 that Jim read for us. Jesus said to Nicodemus, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Nicodemus was confused. What do you mean, Jesus? You can, you can go back into your mother's womb and be born a second time? He was talking about physical birth. And so Jesus explained what he meant when he said being born again and seeing. Verse 5 of John 3. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water. That's your physical birth. And the spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. Born by the spirit. Born of the spirit. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Your spiritual birth was the work of God's Spirit upon you. Jesus sent His Spirit to baptize you. And that Spirit who baptized you was a life-giving Spirit, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. It's a life-giving Spirit and gives you spiritual birth, gives you spiritual life. That's why John says in chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, that you were born of God. And that this is not by human doing. And that you became a child of God, having been born by God's will through your baptism by Jesus with the Holy Spirit.
born of God, not born by the will of man, John 1, 13, but born of God. Number two, number two, you were regenerated. You were regenerated. You know what a generator is, right? You know, that's what you have if you're like an engineering type and don't want to have no electricity when the lights go out, when there's a bad storm or a hurricane or something like that. Generator sits on the side of your house and it runs by gas, right? You, you crank it up like a lawnmower and somehow it's connected to your house. I do not know why, I'm not an engineer. And somehow it gives your, your house lights and it keeps your refrigerator cold. That's generation. It's generating life or generating energy. You were regenerated. That's the term for being born again or given life. You were regenerated. That is, you became, here's your blank, you became alive. You became alive spiritually when Jesus baptized you with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Ephesians 2.4 But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. So you were dead, but Jesus made you alive in Christ. He regenerated you. Titus 3.5 He saved us. How? By what mechanism? He saved us in this way. This is the how. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. This is how you were saved. You were regenerated. You were washed. You were renewed by the Holy Spirit. Titus 3.5 And Paul puts it this way in Colossians 2.13, which you can read in the Declaration of the Gospel. On the front page of your bulletin there, Colossians 2.13. When you were dead in your sins... And in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive. Jesus, God, the second person of the Trinity, sent his Holy Spirit to you, who regenerated you to life. The Spirit gives life. The flesh profits nothing. You did not come to faith by your flesh. Jesus sent his Spirit. He baptized you when you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So Jesus understands this. Uh, in John 6.63, when he taught his disciples, the spirit gives life, the flesh profits nothing. Now, number three, third thing that happened to you when you were baptized with the Holy Spirit. So one, you were born spiritually. Related to that, you were regenerated or made alive spiritually. And then three, you were enabled. You were enabled. You were enabled to see or understand and believe the gospel when Jesus baptized you with the Holy Spirit. Um, John 3, 3, um, Jesus says to Nicodemus, unless you be born again, you cannot. That's a word of ability, cannot. You don't have the ability to see the kingdom of God. That's why you don't understand what I'm saying, Nicodemus. That's why you're talking about going back into your mother's womb a second time. Because you don't see. You haven't been born from above. You've been born by my spirit. You haven't been enabled to believe. We looked at this morning in Sunday school, John 6, 44. Jesus said, no one can come to my father unless my father draws him. In our own ability... 
we don't have the ability to come to the Father. This is a work. This is a work of the Spirit. So before you were baptized with the Spirit and given spiritual birth, you could not see spiritually. You could not hear spiritually. Your heart could not understand the gospel message. Jesus spoke of this in Matthew 13, 13. He said, though seeing, people do not see. And though hearing, they do not perceive. They do not understand. There's a physical seeing and there's a spiritual seeing. There's a physical hearing and there's a spiritual hearing. We can see something. You can be explaining something to somebody and you say, see, and you don't mean, have you just been looking at what I was showing you? You mean, do you understand what I've just been teaching you, right? Bo, you do that when you're teaching people in the air. You know, it's like, see, what you're saying is get it. What you're saying is, do you understand? This is something that cultures have done throughout, throughout history. And this is something they did in Jesus' day. You can see without seeing. You can see physically, but not understand. You can hear and have sound waves bounce off your eardrum inside your inner ear, but not hear. That's why we say, do you hear me? <laughs> when we're talking to somebody who's doing knuckleheaded stuff. You say, do you hear me? Are you listening? <laughs> it's do you hear spiritually? Do you understand? And Jesus said, hey, you are hearing to his disciples. But they hear and do not hear. They see and they do not see. And they do not understand. For they've closed their eyes. And if they wouldn't be closing their eyes, they would see and understand and I would heal them. Heal them as a mean they would be saved. So Jesus spoke about this to Nicodemus. Uh, John 3, 3, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God until he is born again, unless he's born again, unless the spirit has given him birth. John 9, 39, Jesus said, I have come into the world so that the blind will see. And the Pharisees were offended and they say, are you saying we can't see? <laughs> and Jesus says, you don't know what I'm talking about. See, see. So when Jesus baptized you with the Holy Spirit, three things happened. You were born spiritually, you were regenerated, and you were enabled to understand the gospel, which you couldn't understand before. And you know, if you've shared the gospel with some people, you know, and they don't believe, they just don't get it. And you can think about your own life where you probably heard the gospel a time or two or more before you believed. But that time you believed, you got it. Your eyes were open. It was like, Saul uh, 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 um, on the road to Damascus and something like scales came off his eyes. You know, and that happened to us spiritually when you believed. It was like, oh, I get it. I had heard the phrase a lot growing up, uh, not a ton because I was in a theologically liberal church. <laughs> they, they didn't talk about anyone getting saved because everybody was good, right? You can tell that from the world. Everybody's good, good at heart. Yeah, theological liberalism. Yeah, great. Way to go. Good job. <laughs> but no, but but so they never talked about people being saved because no one how offensive that I need to be saved. That was the offense that the Pharisees took. You're saying we need something. Uh, but 
when when I uh, heard the gospel in the eighth grade, right after Christmas time, my sister ran through it with me, and I realized for the first time why Jesus had died on the cross. And I realized, oh, he died for my sins. And anyone listening to my thoughts at that point would have said, duh, you've heard that how many times? And you're just repeating the same thing like it's new news. But it was new news because I had heard it for the first time and understood. I'd heard it in an auditory way, A-U-D, way before, many times. Jesus died on the cross. Jesus died for your sins. But I had never heard it. I had never understood it. My eyes couldn't see the kingdom of God. They were blind. But then I could see. This is why Jesus came to the earth. This is why he died on the cross. He bore my sins and he was punished for them instead of me. And it was that clear. And I'd had that question. And if you've been around a while, you know, I asked my mom that question when I was five years old. Why did Jesus die on the cross? Why didn't he just zap all those people and come down off the cross so I could go and talk to him today? I thought that'd be pretty cool if I could talk to Jesus when I was a five-year-old. You know, just walk up to him like one of the other disciples had walked up to him. But I had never had an answer to that question. Even though it was an answer I wanted to know, I never heard the answer, even though I'd heard the answer. I'd heard that Jesus died on the cross for sins. But I didn't hear it until God opened my eyes. Until he regenerated me. Until he gave me spiritual birth. Until Jesus baptized me with the Holy Spirit. Just like Peter said of these Gentiles, Cornelius. I was now Cornelius. I've been baptized. The Holy Spirit came upon me. I was baptized with the Holy Spirit by Jesus, who is what? Alive in heaven on his throne and baptizing with his Holy Spirit. And he baptized me December of 80 with his Holy Spirit. So see there in your outline, your baptism with the Spirit was part of your effectual calling. We looked at that this morning uh, in our uh, a declaration of our, of our faith. Um, John six forty four. Jesus said, no one can come to me. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So you came to Jesus because the Father drew you to him. And this drawing you to Jesus was through Jesus sending you his spirit. Through Jesus baptizing you with his spirit. So now three. How does this relate to Jesus being king? So you see here in scripture that it calls the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What happens when the Spirit comes upon you and you believe? That's the baptism that Jesus is doing from heaven above upon uh, people today and that he did upon you if you've believed. Now, number three, the realities, the realities, the realities you experience as a result of being baptized with the Holy Spirit assure you that Jesus is alive in heaven and seated as king. And assures you that you, the fact that you've been baptized by the Spirit assures you that Jesus is alive in heaven and seated as king. Jesus promised again in John 15, 26, and you can see it there in the uh, preparation for the hearing of, of the reading of God's word there in your bulletin. Jesus promised in John 15, 26, that he would rise to heaven and then send and baptize with his spirit. 
So if there's evidence, a clear effect in your and other Christians' lives that you are different in a godly direction, that you are different in a way that you were not going before, that means that Jesus is alive, that he has taken his throne, and that he is doing, as he promised, sending to baptize, sending his spirit to baptize with his spirit people. This is what the apostles experienced in Acts chapter 2. They said, Jesus promised he'd send us his spirit. That's what he said in Acts chapter 1, verse 5. Stay here in Jerusalem till I send to you the one I was telling you about, the Holy Spirit. And so the, the, the uh, apostles, they see Jesus physically rise up before them in Acts chapter 1, verse 9. But then, with Pentecost, they see, though they had not seen it from earth, Jesus arrive in heaven and sit on his throne. They knew at Pentecost when the Spirit arrived and poured, itself out, poured himself out on people that that was Jesus. He had arrived. The big envelope had come. There was evidence there. Jesus made it to made it to the right hand of God because I know this because the Spirit has been poured out. And that's what Jesus said he would do after he rose up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God, that he would send his Spirit to his people. And so there's evidence there. And that's what the apostles were knowing. When, when that Spirit came down upon them, they could say in their hearts, and maybe they thought this in their minds, he made it. Jesus is there. He's at the right hand of God. He's been seated as king. This is what Peter declares later in the sermon there at, at, at uh, uh, Acts chapter 2. Jesus has risen from the dead. He sat down at the right hand of God. And this, he has poured out his spirit. Poured out the Holy Spirit among us. And that is what we see and hear now. See, Peter's made these connections. Jesus said, when I arise, I will send my spirit. Peter says, here's the spirit. Jesus has arisen and sat, and sat at the right hand, right hand of God. So there's been an effect of Jesus regenerating baptism with the Holy Spirit on your life and on the lives of other believers. There's been that for nearly 2,000 years now. The church is alive the church is thriving even amongst all the persecution it's experienced for 2,000 years. Why is that? Why would people stick around in a religion that they just get made fun of for being in? Why would that be the case? Because Jesus is alive and he sent his spirit and we know that he's there and that he sent his spirit to us and it's true. So there's been an effect on us because you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God, um, you can know this. And this is your next line there to fill in in your blank. Because you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God, know that the Spirit of God is in you. The Spirit of God is in you. So Jesus baptized you with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is in you. And because the Spirit is in you, here's the stuff that proves the Spirit of God has been poured out upon you. Here's the stuff that proves that you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit and therefore that Jesus has reached his throne. Number one, your life is marked by changed character and behavior. Your life is marked by changed character and behavior. 
And this is evidence that Jesus is king who baptized you by the Holy Spirit. Um, Ephesians 5.8 says this, For you were once darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Live as children of light in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. You know that your lives are marked, not in perfect degree, but in a degree that's starkly different than before you believed in Jesus, that your life is, is marked by these things, goodness and righteousness and truth. You no longer care just about what will be to your advantage and call that true. Now you say, you know what? Truth is truth and I bow to it. And if I want something to be true and scripture tells me it's not, I believe scripture and I deal with it. I'm aimed now at being righteous or faithful to God instead of just calling down to God for favors upon me. My goal in life is righteousness or being faithful to God in life. And my life is aimed at being good and not just looking good like the Seinfeld clan. <laughs> That's the funny thing about them. They're really rotten people, but they're always aimed at looking good. Um, but we're aimed at being good really from the heart. We don't want to be whitewashed tombs like the Pharisees, you know, all white and looking good on the outside because we've been painted white, but inside full of all kinds of corruption and dead men's bones and foul smell. First Peter 4, 3, Peter puts it this way, talking to Gentiles who used to be Gentiles without faith in Jesus, who used to be running, doing all kinds of sinful things, who are not doing those sinful things anymore. Here's what Peter says to these Christians. He says, in the past, you were doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. And now the pagans think it's strange that you do not anymore plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation. So your life is changed. Your life direction is changed. I got that rejection letter from Harvard because my life in its first years were all directed on how much can I accomplish? How much can I achieve the praise of men? That was who John Musgrave was as a young guy. Um, and, and so, you know, someone asked me a few weeks ago, you know, why are you still here? I love you being here, but why are you still here? A church of 50 people. Well, it's because Christ has changed me. Um, if, if pastoral ministry were a career, right? If it were about jumping from smaller, you know, smaller church to a bigger church, to a bigger church, to a bigger church and achieving fame for myself. Oh yeah, I would have left a long time ago. Okay. Uh, but Christ has changed me and my high school classmates have a puzzled look on their face when they find out I'm a pastor and I was a very moral kid, didn't do drugs, didn't have sex. You know, I was a very moral kid and people knew it. It wasn't that I was, you know, uh, uh, um, a, a, a Puritan of, of type, but they knew I was a straight, straight guy um, there. And, and but they're surprised because the, the guy who is all about himself and about achieving the praise of men is doing something that gets spit on in our society. And, and that's just Christ in his work by his spirit, uh, changing my motivations, changing what I view as important in life, right? All that stuff is, like Paul said, it's a, it's a, a pile of 
crap. <laughs> this is what he says there. He uses the, the word for dung uh, there. So you've changed. Your life is different. Know that that means you've been baptized by the Spirit. And know that means Jesus, your King, sent you his Spirit at that point where you believed. And you've been different ever since in increasing ways. Now, number two, number two, since God's spirit is in you, since you've been baptized by the spirit and the spirit of God is in you, the fruit of the spirit, the fruit of the spirit is increasingly appearing in you. And that began when you believed. So because the Spirit is in you, the fruit of the Spirit, it's not perfect in you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. None of that stuff is perfect in any of us, but it's growing in all of us. And that's evidence that the Spirit of God is in us because that is the fruit, not of you. It's the fruit of the Spirit who was given to you, poured out upon you by Jesus when you believed. Number three. Because you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God is in you, you can say no to temptations and obey the commands of God to live in God's ways. Paul speaks of his frustration, um, so obeys that blank there. Paul speaks of his frustration in Romans 7 about what his life was like as a religious person without the Spirit of God. That's Romans chapter 7 being a religious guy without the Spirit of God. And it was like, I know what's right, but sin within me has no competition. <laughs> My mind that knows what's right and wants to do what's right gets defeated time after time because of the sin, my sin nature within me. But then he says at the end of the chapter and end of chapter eight, but thanks be to God. And he says, Jesus came into the world and what the sin nature could not do, Jesus did by giving us his spirit. And then Paul goes on to talk about in chapter 8 how we now as Christians having the spirit can actually do the will of God, which we frustratingly couldn't do prior to having his spirit. So that's one of the things that you can know in your life. You can do the commands of God because the Spirit of God is in you. And it's no longer the, the temptation matched with our sin nature, and our sin nature walks in the temptation. Now we've got temptation, we've got sin nature, and we have the Spirit of God. And with each temptation, the Spirit of God can overcome our sin nature, and that, that's what leads to obedience, uh, obedience in our lives. So we go from, as Paul says at the end of, uh, Romans 7 and 8, we go from a prisoner of sin, as he puts it there, with sin at work in us and our walking in sin um, to having the Spirit of God in us. And he says there, we have been set free by the Spirit of life. Set free by the Spirit of life from this condition of being spiritually dead and walking in sin. And he says, by the Spirit uh, by which you were baptized, at your spiritual birth, the righteous, here's what he says, the righteous requirements of the law might be met fully in you. The righteous requirements of the law might be met fully in you. That doesn't mean perfectly, but it means all the things God is commanding us to do, all the things he's saying to us to do. We can do these things because Christ has given us his spirit. 
and then we can walk in righteousness. We have the ability to say, as Paul says in Titus 2, we have the ability to say no to ungodliness and yes to walking in his ways. And then number four, because you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God is in you, uh, you are becoming more Christ-like. This is what Paul then gets into at the end of Romans chapter 8, that we are being conformed to the image of Christ. And so you can know this in your lives, that as you're being conformed and you become more and more like Jesus in your character, in your behavior, in your actions, as you are, are being transformed from your sin nature and what you would have done for your own selfish reasons to doing things for others, to doing things out of love of God, to doing things to glorify God. As you do that, you're becoming more Christ-like, and that's because the Spirit of Christ is in you. So number four, number four. So John's made the case here, he shows us that Jesus has begun baptizing with the Holy Spirit, just as John the Baptist said. He's baptized you with the Spirit, and you've changed. And these things are different. And so, yeah, there's smoke above the chimney, so you know there's a fire going on inside the house. The Spirit of God is in you, and the smoke above the chimney is your changed, your changed life. Um, so you know that Jesus has made it. He's sitting as king at the right hand of God. He is the son of God, the king of the new Israel. But then number four, Jesus' baptism of you with the Holy Spirit. John wants you to know this. It's why you believed. It's why you believed. Uh, Jesus' baptism of you with the Holy Spirit is why you believed and why others haven't. We talked about in the first few sermons in John, that this was a primary question of those John was writing to. John was writing to Jewish Christians in the first century, about A.D. 90, and most Jewish people had not believed in Jesus in the first century, in the first century or now. And the question with them was, being the case that Jesus had performed all these signs, had amazed people by his teaching of the law, our religion, made more sense of it than anyone ever had. Why haven't my brothers and sisters in the Jewish faith also believed? And one of the reasons John writes his gospel is to explain this. Why your brothers and sisters of Jewish faith have not believed also? And one of the cases John makes over and over again, if you want a, a, a gospel talking about election, <laughs> if you're a gospel talking about regeneration preceding faith, it's the gospel of John, because John is explaining Here's why so many Jews have not believed. It's not for lack of evidence. Right? That's the end of John. And John explains why he's written the book. John 20, uh, 30 and 31. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the King the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And we see throughout the Gospel of John that sometimes the Pharisees, like when he heals the blind man in John chapter 8 and 9, they see the miracle. They know the man was born blind. They admit to each other, everyone knows this man was blind, and now he sees what are we going to do? They don't deny the miracle has happened. 
They say the miracle has happened and we don't like it, is what they say. The miracles happened and we don't like Jesus is getting attention than we are. So how can we kill him, is what they say. They don't kill him for lack of belief. They kill, sorry, lack of evidence. They kill him because there is evidence. And they don't want there to be. They've engaged in an obvious investigation that they didn't want put in front of their eyes. And they've seen it. They've seen lots of evidence. And they still haven't believed. And that's the question among John's original audience as he writes the Gospel of John. Why haven't all these people believed with all the evidence that Jesus put before them? And John explains, well, you have to be baptized by the Spirit. You have to be born again. You have to be born by the will of the Father, not by the will of man, not by the will of a person, not by some kind of human effort. It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. And Jews who haven't believed, they just have the flesh. They just have their own will. They haven't been given the Spirit. That's why they haven't believed. And that's why you have believed out from among this group of people who all said, crucify him in their final summary of what they should do with Jesus. So your ability, your ability to believe is because you have the Holy Spirit. Your ability to believe becomes because Jesus has reached his throne in heaven and he baptized you with your with his spirit so that he could so that you could believe. Now, number five, number five. Um, and by the way, that should give you humility toward those who haven't believed. That should give you compassion toward those who haven't believed. And that was to do that for this original audience. So that they would look at their fellow Jews and have compassion like Paul did and said, would I be lost that they might be saved? And so we look at other people and we don't say, why is that guy such an idiot? He doesn't believe in Jesus. Why is that guy so immoral? Why, why is she so nasty or whatever the thing is? We, we don't do that. We understand they haven't been baptized by Jesus with the Holy Spirit. That's why. And I didn't do anything to be baptized with the Holy Spirit by Jesus. And so I need to be humble there. I need to have patience to those, those who haven't believed. Now, number five. Number five, your experience, your experience of having the Holy Spirit within you confirms that Jesus is the same God from Old Testament times who did the same. Um, so we know Jesus is God, chapter one, verses one through three. Jesus was God in the beginning. Jesus, uh, Je Jesus was with God the Father. Jesus was God. Jesus created all things. Nothing has been created but by Jesus. Okay, so we have that from John 1, verses 1 through 3 and verse 14 uh, down there. Um, we've known that, but what we also need to see is that God has been pouring out his spirit, coming upon people by his spirit in Old Testament times as well. And so we see this in uh, Numbers 11, 25, Judges 3, 10. All, judges 3, 10, all the judges in Israel, what it says of them, and God's spirit came upon Samson. And God's spirit came upon Jephthah. And God's spirit came upon um, Gideon. And says that God pours out his spirit on a particular person um, to, to, to bring them to life so that they lead God's people. 
Uh, but this is uh, throughout the, the Old Testament. You see, you know, these uh, numbers 11, 25, Judges 3, 10, 2 Chronicles 15, 1, and 34 other instances of God pouring out his spirit on an individual or on a group, like Saul and the, the prophets of Saul, you know, are, have the spirit of God poured out upon them. So um, here's our, so, so God is the one who pours out the spirit. So here's our little, if you like logic, if you like philosophy 101, here you go, a little logical uh, syllogism for you here. Um, a, John the Baptist could baptize with water. That's your A. John the Baptist could baptize with water. That's what he said. That's all I'm doing. I'm baptizing people with water who have repented and have said, I need to get right with God. He baptizes them with water. B, a pastor can baptize you with water today. That's all I can do. I can baptize you with water. Okay? C, but neither of these, John the Baptist, uh, nor John your pastor, nor any other pastor, um, uh, neither of these baptisms uh, of water would change you from within in a lasting way. A water baptism will not, maybe you'll feel religious for a while and you'll be helped for three days, maybe two weeks at the most. But you won't be changed from within in a lasting way that will give you endurance through persecution, that'll make you faithful to the end. The baptism I do with water doesn't do that to you. But D, but God can send, baptize with the Holy Spirit. God can do that. And number one, D1, John the Baptist, Jesus, Peter, and Paul have all said that the baptism of the Holy Spirit that has changed who you are has been performed by Jesus upon you. You've been baptized with the Spirit. Who does that? Scripture tells us. Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And we know, too, therefore, that Jesus is God. Because who pours out his Spirit? Old Testament, God. God pours out his Holy Spirit upon individuals in the Old Testament. And now we see, oh, which person of the Trinity pours out his spirit upon people, his people? It's Jesus. And so the fact that Jesus pours out his spirit upon people, the fact that Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit means that Jesus is God. So a summary, summary. Your changed life, your changed life as a Christian shows that you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit. Okay, you have a lasting change in your life in the various ways we mentioned. It shows that you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit and it proves that Jesus is alive in heaven, proves that Jesus is alive in heaven, seated as king of his people and baptizing from above his people. Jesus is alive in heaven, seated as king of his people and baptizing them, his people from above, just as he said he would. Just as he said he would. Let's pray.